Well, good morning again. It's good to see you guys. Thank you so much for gathering here this morning and for bringing the church into a YMCA gymnasium or bringing the church into your living room, your dining room, wherever you happen to be gathering. And so uh, thanks for joining us, whether here in person or online. Uh, if we've never met, my name is Jamie. It's my great privilege to serve as one of the pastors at Crosspoint. And if you can hear in my voice a little bit right now, um, it's a little raspy. I'm realizing like it may cut out. Maybe it'll be a shorter sermon. Probably not, but maybe, right? Um, it's not from screaming at the TV as Michigan suffered another devastating defeat in football, although that did happen, all right? Um, it wasn't that. Uh, we got back about midnight last night. Uh, my oldest daughter was swimming in the state championship meet down in South Florida. And so I was screaming like a mad person, right? Um, and uh, doing that. So my voice, I might take a few sips of water this morning, um, but that's what's, uh, <clears throat> that's what's going on there. So. Um, we are continuing a series called Songs for the Journey. It's through this grouping of psalms, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And we've been talking about this as the playlist for God's people. It would be like queuing up for a road trip, like you get your playlist ready on your, you know, Apple Music or Spotify or whatever it is that you use, right? And if you're like, no, I still got a tape, like whatever it happens to be, right? Like you're putting this thing together because you want your tunes for your travel. And so what we have here in Psalm 120 through 134 is this playlist of God's people. It's songs that they would sing as periodically the Lord would call them to these various feasts and festivals to gather in Jerusalem with God's people. And they would come from all the surrounding area. And so each week we've been looking at a different one of these psalms or really what we can say is a song. Like we're getting to dive into this playlist, right? Now, I'm not singing it, but I do get to teach it and preach it. And what we're doing throughout this is covering most of these particular songs. But the way the calendar worked out and kind of when we were starting this series in, crazy, right? Advent is right around the corner, all right? Some of you are like, yeah, I know. I put my Christmas lights up already, right? So some of you are in that, that spot, right? We are not able to cover every last Psalm of Ascent, so we had certain ones that we were going to pick. And as just praying and thinking about this and months before even the day where we're at, asking the Lord, like, Lord, which ones would you have for us? Because we're not going to be able to do all of them. And they're kind of grouped through in these, these triads. And so just in studying this and looking ahead and knowing where we'd be even on the calendar on the other side of the election, as, as Pastor Eric already mentioned, it felt of just this, this sense from God, like, hey, make sure you do Psalm 132, 133, and 134 to conclude this. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 132 this morning. Next week in Psalm 133, just a sneak peek on that. Uh, it talks about how beautiful it is when brothers dwell in unity. There's something that our country needs. There's something the church needs. It certainly would, that would be a fitting thing. And this morning, I have the privilege of opening up Psalm 132, which is going to talk to us about what it looks like when we seek the presence of God, what we're created for, when we understand that God has put a king on the throne, all right, and when we realize, all right, that no matter what happens politically, as Pastor Eric made mention of, right, we trust that God is doing his good work and he's inviting us as his people. And there's a, if you're here this morning and you're discouraged, there's a good and healthy way to be discouraged and there's an unhealthy way to be discouraged. And if you're here excited this morning, there's a good and healthy way to be excited and rejoicing, and there's an unhealthy way. And the unhealthy ways are both when we put our hope in a person 
thinking that that person is going to bring the flourishing that we ultimately desire. No one can hold up under that pressure. You can't do it. I can't do it. No political candidate can do it. But there is one who can, and it's God's son, Jesus, who is king, who is sovereign, who is good. And so Psalm 132 is what's going to help us understand that more fully this morning. And so I'd encourage you, if you've got a Bible, app, whatever you want to do, turn there because I want to read this in its entirety. Or as always, you can go to cpwp.life. Swipe over till you see the card that says message notes, and uh, you'll find the text there this morning as well as the slides they'll be putting up. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. It's the longest of the Psalms of Ascent. We can't dive into every last detail here, but just we'll get this overview, and there's some big themes that it's driving at. So beginning in verse 1, Psalm 132 says this, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships that he endured. And how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in the pathway. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place and let us worship at his footstool. Verse 8, arise, O Lord. Go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy for the sake of your servant David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Verse 11, and the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. And if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. And I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is God's word for us here this morning. God's always timely word for us. I want to invite you to pray with me. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, our hearts, our thinking. You don't need to hear my thoughts or opinions. Like we need to hear from God this morning. So I'll put the words on the screen, whether you're here in person or watching online, will you read aloud with me? Let's pray together. Draw us close, Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts and let all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today, the voice of truth and grace, amen. All right, so as we get into this this morning, I wanna call your attention to the back half of this particular psalm, specifically picking up in verse 13, if you just kind of give a cursory glance back at that again, there's some amazing things that are being spoken of. It is a picture of ultimate flourishing, of wholeness, is what the Hebrew scriptures would talk of as shalom, like everything as God intended it to be. And so I would put before us, right, we all want this. Like look back over 13 to 17. The Lord has chosen Zion, why? for his dwelling place. Like it's this picture of God coming to dwell with his people and there is my resting place forever. And the Lord is like, it's not just he defaulted, like, ah, I guess I'll pick that. It's like, no, I desire this. He desires to be with his people. 
I don't know what you brought in here this morning, the things that are heavy on your heart, the things that you're discouraged about, the things you're excited about, the things that you're anxious about, whatever it happens to be, I want you to know this. The God of the universe desires to be with you, to meet with you, to dwell with you. He's been planning for this from all ages past, all right? If you're like, well, I don't know if that's actually true. You're here this morning, in person, online, some way, somehow, like the Lord has got you here and he wants to remind you that he longs to dwell with you, that he longs to call you as his people. And then look at the language here, verse 15. I, the Lord says, will abundantly bless her provisions. I'll satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. The saints will what? They will shout for joy. And there I make a horn to sprout for David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. And then verse 18 is so great. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But on him his crown will shine. It's this picture of ultimate victory. So what we've been singing about this morning, about how the Lord triumphs and what the Lord actually does. And it's his desire to get his people back, his desire to be with his people and how he's going to make provision for that. And so this picture here in 13 to 17, I would put before you is just simply, it's a picture of like where this story is heading. It's not the reality right now. There is pain, there is suffering, there's injustice. I mean, just even look at the line, I will satisfy her poor with bread. Well, last time I checked, there are still poor people who do not have enough to, to live on. So it means that we're in this tension right now, like Jesus has come and he's, he's ushered in this, this new reality, and yet we long for him to come back and to set everything right. And so right now, we live in this tension. And if you're unaware of that tension, I don't actually know where you've been living, all right? Just let, right? Because the reality is like, you open your phone, you turn on the TV, you talk with somebody, or you spend 30 seconds examining your own heart and you realize, oh, there's a lot of issues. And the Lord is saying, listen, I want you to know the story that you're part of. And ultimately what this is, all right? Psalm 132, as the people sang this, and you have to remember that we're not exactly sure the context for this or what time period, but many scholars believe that this would have been put together after the people of God had been hauled off into captivity and these songs are put together as it's after, like, they're now, they're getting to return, but it's after the exile, which means this. Their homeland had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. And though things were going to be rebuilt, it wasn't ever going to be quite what it once was. And they have this longing, like, we just want to be not only with God's people, we want to be with the Lord. And so they would make this journey. And though they know it was going to be hard and difficult, there was just this longing for the presence of God. And so I want us to wrestle through this this morning. This psalm is going to help us wrestle through, are you and I, are we seeking the Lord's presence? Are we seeking God's presence? This is what we're created for. Like you want to have a life that flourishes? Flourishing, like you could equate it to this, it's being in the presence of the Lord. That's one day what ultimately is going to happen. New heavens, new earth, God coming to dwell with us. So what we're going to celebrate here in this Advent or Christmas season, the first coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. You go back to the beginning of the story, Genesis 1 and 2. What is it? God with us, like walking with God, cool of the day. That's what we're created for. But it's been lost. And so 
this psalm helps us wrestle through, and it's going to reference some things historically that at first glance you might be like, I wonder what this is referring to, but I'll try and summarize this, all right? And the first thing that we see as we look at the first seven verses is there's King David himself, and he's prioritizing the presence, meaning this, he has this great desire to know the Lord, to be with the Lord, to have his life shaped by the Lord. Now, I know that can sound sort of abstract, but it literally would just mean in whatever you do, you have opportunities to commune with God. I've been reading through this, it's a centuries-old book now, called, uh, the, uh, Practicing the, the Presence by Brother Lawrence. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. And this guy, he's just, he's living his life, and he's got hardship, he's got physical ailments, um, he spends most of his days, like, cooking and cleaning, like, basically doing dishes in this monastery, but he finds this way. He's like, whatever happens, yeah, I can have dedicated time of prayer, but I can enjoy the presence of God while I'm doing the most mundane things ever. It actually is possible. And so what we see here in these first seven verses, it's referencing something that the people basically are looking back on. They're like, they're thinking about their history as God's people. And they're like, oh, you remember what David did? And what is happening here in the first seven verses as you look back at this, it says, remember, O Lord, in David's favor. It's like, Lord, look what had happened. And it says all the hardships that he endured, regarding what? Well, how he swore to the Lord and he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house, I won't get into my bed, I'll not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until what? Until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So what's happening here is it's a reference to 2 Samuel. If you go look up, it tells some of the history of God's people. In chapter 6 and chapter 7, it's the story of this. What you see up on the screen right now, this is this rendition of the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And if you're familiar with, maybe you grew up in Sunday school, and you're like, oh, I remember some of these stories. And if you're like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about, or if you need a refresher, let me give you the quick summary. When God's people were slaves in Egypt and they were miraculously delivered they began this journey to the promised land. And lo the Lord would go with them, and the Lord would guide them, and he gave them instructions about how they could be in the presence of God. And so they constructed this tabernacle. They constructed um, this gigantic tent, all right? So you think set up and tear down, here's the thing, right? Um, like the tabernacle, imagine just traveling in the wilderness, you're out in the desert, and it's like, oh, it's time to set up the pipe and drape again. Like they did it like legit, right? And so this would happen, and then one of the things that would take place is they would construct this, there'd be this veil, and behind it was the place that's called the Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies was, oh, it went away, sorry, there we go. There was that. Now, inside of that ark were the tablets of the law that had been given to Moses, the Ten Commandments, which are pretty amazing, but also pretty condemning because none of us can keep that. And so it was like this constant reminder, you can't keep the very basic things, even the very first thing, right? Kind of keep God ultimate. It's like, yeah, we keep choosing self. And so we just fail over and over and over again. But God in his grace says, yes, there is the law, and the law will actually condemn you, meaning like you're, you're not, it's going to point out all the ways that you fail. But what we see on top of this is what was referred to, you see these kind of angels, these cherubim, and right there in between is called the mercy seat. 
And once a year, the high priest who put on these white robes and go through this whole ritual process would be allowed to go in and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Why? To make atonement for the sins of the people. Because there in the ark, in the Holy of Holies, was believed to be, that's where God's presence was. And so this is a really significant thing because in 2 Samuel 6 and 7, the ark had been away from Jerusalem, had been away from God's people, and they get to bring it back. And they get to put it in its rightful spot. And so David is just consumed with this. He has this all-consuming passion. It's why he says the things that he does. And that's referenced here in Psalm 132. I'm not going to slumber. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to enjoy the comforts of life. He's literally looking at his life and saying, I've got a great house that I live in. It was probably more than just a great house. I mean, he had this in palace. And he's like, the Lord himself, like the Lord's presence, symbolized there with the, the Ark of the Covenant and the, the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies and God's presence being there. He's like, he's in a tent. And so he has this passion. He's like, I want to find a permanent home for God's presence. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 1 to 3, it says this. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, which that'd be a good thing, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. When Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. So David begins to put together this plan. Why? Above all things, David desires the presence of God. He wants to honor the Lord. He wants to know the Lord. Now, there's a twist in the story because Nathan ends up hearing from the Lord and the Lord's like, hey, it's not going to be David that's going to build it. I have appointed his son Solomon to do that. All right? So he has to go and communicate. But there's this desire. That's why, again, I will not give sleep to my eyes, slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, this all-consuming passion. Perhaps you're familiar with this story. When we think about this, people who become consumed with the presence, they become consumed with the, the glory of God, that there's a passion that takes hold of them, and they long for nothing more than for the Lord's will to be done. There's a story of a group of missionaries that went into the jungles of Ecuador in the late 50s to try and reach a tribe that had never heard the gospel, a very violent group of people, all right, and they end up giving their lives. They literally end up speared to death. One of the people is a guy by the name of Jim Elliott. Perhaps you've heard this story. He's famous for this particular quote here. I'll put it on the screen, but it comes directly out of his journal. So at Wheaton College and the archives there, you can go and you can see this, and I know it's hard to see on the screen, but there kind of underlined is this phrase that he wrote down prior to literally being speared to death for the cause of the gospel. He wanted people to know the presence of the Lord. He wanted people to know the one true God and King. And he says this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the presence of God. It's all consuming. Yeah, there's earthly comforts, there's earthly things that we can enjoy, like David, who's like, I got a nice house of cedar, it's amazing, but like, the thing that I'm passionate about is the presence of the Lord, the Lord's will being done. Jim Elliott got a picture of that, he was so gripped by it. Now, there's a part of the story that I wasn't familiar with, or an aspect of just the costliness of this. This all sounds maybe inspiring, but just think for a moment, imagine being his parents, recent graduate of school, right? It's probably got, maybe they paid for college, maybe got some college debt. I don't know how all that, that went down, right? 
Probably me thinking like he'd just go like get a job and settle down, buy a home in the suburbs, whatever, right? And he writes to his parents because he's told them, the Lord has called me. And he's not just called me to any place, he's called me to this particularly dangerous place. And here's part of a letter that he wrote to his parents. Again, seeking the presence of the Lord, like this all-consuming passion. So he says to his parents, all right, he says, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves which we regard as closest, he told us, must become as hate in comparison with our desires to uphold his cause. Grieve not then if your sons seem to desert you, but rejoice rather, seeing the will of God done gladly. And then he continues in this letter and he says, remember how the psalmist, is something we looked at just a few weeks ago, described children. He said that they were as, an, as an inher- a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of? But arrows. And what are arrows? But for but to shoot. So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. It's a passion that the presence of God, that the kingdom of God might expand, that it might move into enemy territory. It's what Jesus said when he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church is not sitting back on the defense of the church, is moving forward, it's advancing by the strength of Jesus, taking back, reclaiming ground from the enemy. It is advancing, and it's all this consuming passion for the presence of God. Now, I say this, listen, this is not as one who is consumed by the presence of God. This is conviction, like it's convicting to me, studying this, like, Lord, like, what, what's going on here? When I read something like Psalm 42, verses 1 to 2, look at this language, all right? And if you are like grew up in like 90s youth group, you're like, as the deer, let's sing this song. It's okay, but just look at the language here. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Can we just acknowledge for a moment? Like we read that, like, oh, and the deer imagery. No. Can you imagine somebody talking like this in today's culture? I want nothing more than, right? Like my soul literally pants for you, oh God. Like we get passionate about some things, right? But that sort of like, like we'd be uncomfortable with that. Like somebody rolling in here this morning and just like, I'm so excited to be here with God's people, presence of the Lord. My soul has been panting for the Lord all week. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I mean, that sort of all-consuming passion. But that's what the Lord invites us into. He's saying, pay attention to those desires. Pay attention to the things that are going on. Wake up to those things and then realize they can only be satisfied through my presence. And so where the psalmist goes then in verses 8 to 10, this is actually part of what Solomon actually prays at the dedication of the temple many years later. In verses 8 to 10, he's quoting, kind of summarizing the words here, arise, O Lord, go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. 
Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. There's more we could get into, but just let me highlight a couple things. For one, this language here, arise, O Lord. It's again, it has a historic context. It's the language that would be used. Like go read, it's the book of Numbers. It may not be the most thrilling thing at times, but as you go and read this, there's reference to the fact that each time God would say it's time to move on as they would journey to the, the promised land. It was like, arise, O Lord. And they would go and they would follow and they would follow the presence of God. And the Lord would say, stop here. And so they would stop and they would set up the tabernacle and they put everything together and the ark would go in the Holy of Holies. And they would engage in all these practices so that they might actually one day be fully reunited to their God. Like God has been in the business of getting us back into his presence. The storyline of the Bible is you and I separated from God. We originally in his presence, separated from God, choosing what we would say is progress over presence and it leads to disaster. And the Lord keeps inviting us and he keeps making a way and he keeps picking out people. He picks out Abraham and he says, I'm gonna make you into this great nation and you're gonna be a blessing to all the nations. And he calls David and he, so on and so forth. He works down through history, why? To get us back to how we were designed to be in the presence of God. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. It's just a picture of everything as God intends it to be. And so it's this prayer. And so church, as we will get into the last few verses here in a moment, but what do we long for, right? Do I long for the presence of God? Do I, do I long to be consumed? Can I say like the psalmist, like my soul just pants for you? Like I want to be in that spot. Intellectually, I know that's the best possible place to be, but there are so many things that compete for my allegiance, for my time, for my energy. There are so many other voices that crowd out the good word of the Lord that says, yeah, 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 that may not ultimately satisfy you got to do this, you got to strive, you've got to achieve, you, you should be further along at such and such a point in your life, or this should have gone a, di a different way. And what ends up happening is bit by bit, again, we choose progress over presence. This is the story. It's an old, it's a tired old story, and yet it keeps getting repackaged and sold to us. We're like, ooh, something new. And it's the same tired old story that the serpent said to Adam and Eve, like, did God really say? Does God really know best? Maybe you could have something more than this amazing communion with God. And they're like, oh yeah, maybe there is something more. No, the presence of God is what we're created for. And everything that we go and we, maybe we make that purchase or we get to go on that trip and none of those things are bad. But deep down, there's something going on at a heart level that is longing for the presence of God and we're hoping that this other thing might fill it. Now, we can use the things that God has given to us. We should rejoice in the things that he's given to us. We should worship God through all of those things, like Brother Lawrence, even as you do the dishes. But the ultimate thing is this allegiance. And so look with me then, because this, how this ends in 11 to 18 is just spectacular. Like what the Lord does here in 11 to 18, it's about this promised presence of God. So if we think back to the beginning of this particular psalm, right? It's a reference to David saying, Lord, I want to build a 
I want to build a permanent home for your presence. Lord, I'm going to do this. Lord, let me do this. Asking for things from the Lord. And what we have in 11 to 18, maybe a way to think about it is that just the, the script, it gets completely turned upside down. The script gets flipped. Instead of a going to God and saying, Lord, I want to do this. Can you do this? Will you bless these efforts? The Lord says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't you sit down? Why don't you allow me to speak? I've got some things I want to say to you. You don't need to be coming, making all these oaths and all these promises to me. I'm, making, I'm a covenant making and I'm a covenant keeping God and I've got a word for you. And so this is what it says in beginning in verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. Now remember context. This is a group of people singing this song who've endured tremendous loss. They've wondered if these words are true. They've seen their homelands destroyed, absolutely wrecked, but they call this to mind. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. And if your sons keep my covenant, my testimonies, then I shall teach them their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. And then as we looked at the beginning of this, 13 to 17, sorry, 13 to 18, just describe just this picture of ultimate flourishing. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. Do you hear what's happening here? The Lord is promising his covenant of faithfulness. He's saying, I've got a plan to get you back to reclaim my people. And I'm going to work through David. I'm going to work through your line. And though you don't get to build the temple for me, I've got good plans. And I'm just telling you. Like, whenever it is that you're called to, to, you know, breathe your last breath, he's like, I want you to know, like, I will set one of your sons on the throne, and one of his sons on the throne, and one of his sons, and down and down and down, and there's this promise. And if you're familiar with the Christian story at all, you should be like, oh, like, this gets, like, it's this promise that gets us Jesus. And so we look at this, right? If you're like me, you're like, man, this sounds This is amazing. This is too good to be true. This, what an amazing thing. But did you notice in verse 12, there's this gigantic word that jumps off the page, and the word is this, if. Verse 12, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. But it seems like there's this big conditional if. And I don't think you have to be a scholar of the Bible. You might be completely new to the Bible. You might not know any of this history. You might be like, what in the world is this referring to? But I think you know this. If you know the human condition just a little bit, if you've been alive for longer than 15 minutes, all right, you know that this is massively problematic. If your sons keep my covenant, well, what do the people of God continue to do? They keep doing what is right in their own eyes. They keep disobeying God's statutes. They keep disregarding God. They keep saying, I want to choose, again, what I will say is progress 
I'm not really interested in the presence of the Lord. I'm not really interested in your ways. I know that psalmist that was, that was cute and we put, it on a, you know, we put it on a nice little coffee cup about my, my soul panting like the deer and he got the picture of the deer and all that. He's like, but listen, at the end of the day, I wanna do what I wanna do. And that's the story of humanity from Genesis three on. And it's not just those crazy people out there. It's the person standing up here. It's you sitting in those seats. It's you watching online. It's literally everybody. And so we read this, and it's like, if. Like, well, how is this going to resolve? Like, how in the world, like, this has been put out there? And then we remember, though, and this is the beautiful good news. And this is, I'm just going to kind of load us up as we conclude this message with just some scripture that speaks to the story that you're part of in hopes that it will actually encourage you, in hopes that all of this talk about pursuing the presence of God doesn't feel like a weight or a burden or like you gotta do more or something, you gotta go sign up to be a, a missionary in the, the jungles of Ecuador or something like that. If God's calling you, great. But what I do know right here, right now, is the Lord has appointed for you to be here in this place in 2020 with everything that's going on he chose you for this time. Acts 17, he's appointed the time and the places in which you live, where you dwell, the place you inhabit. The neighborhood you live in, it's not by accident. The school that you go to, not by accident. The friends that you have, the struggles that you have, everything. That I want us to be encouraged that, yes, there's this call to pursue the presence, but it's only in a glad response that God has pursued us. There's no heavy burden that you have to carry, but rather the Lord has carried it all. Because so, here's the good news. Paul would write about this. I mean, just look at this kind of the logic and how it builds, all right? 2 Timothy, 11, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 11 to 13. He says, the saying is trustworthy. Like you can bank on it. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For what? For he cannot deny himself. What is that speaking of? It's giving an answer to this gigantic problem that if brings up. If you're perfectly obedient, if you follow. It's like, well, I'm not doing that. If we are faithless, what? He is faithful. His will is going to be done. He will continue to pursue. Because get this, unlike you and I who make and break all kinds of promises. God is a covenant-making, means he pursues, he initiates, and he's a covenant-keeping God, and he's going to get us home, and he's going to get us into his presence, and we are going to be able to enjoy life with him forever. That's the promise of Christianity. He cannot deny himself. Now, I made reference to this earlier, right? So if you want to raise your hand as a show of hands, like how many of you, almost, I'm not saying you're skipping Thanksgiving, but maybe in this year, in this time, in this place, you're like, it's not too early to talk about Christmas. We got any people in that? Okay, there we go. All right, yes. So just look around. Some of you got happy hands going on with that, right? So, all right. But we got to talk about Christmas for a moment. Because what this promise all the way back that Psalm 132 is referencing Right? Psalm 132 is saying there's going to be one who is going to come, is going to be in the line of David, is going to occupy that throne. Well, look what happened at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And behold, these are words given to Mary. You will conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him what? The throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. That God, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, was making promises, he was making covenants, and he was saying, even if you fail, because I know you're gonna fail, I'm going to make it possible. Now, we're almost finished here, but I, we gotta loop back to something. That is this, this theme that's been going on. And this is something that was new to me in, in studying for this. Something I was like, oh my goodness, like if, if you have this moment, it's like the Bible's actually really cool. Like I would really encourage you to study it, right? Um, like you, you re, there's like all these connections and you start to get into it more and like, well, this ties to this and this ties. Like none of these details in here are by accident. The Lord wasn't like, oh, it's not like a paper you wrote in college where you're like, if I adjust the font and I change the, you know, the width of the mark. Anyone do that? Okay, anyway, right? Like I can fill this up a little bit, right? Every detail matters. And so in talking about this line of David, talking about what he's going to do, talking about all of these things, he's letting us in like, what's his plan to get us back? So he talks about David's desire and he talks about the ark, like even back in verses uh, six and seven, Behold, we've heard of it, we found it, like there's the ark, all right? Let us go to his dwelling place, let us worship at his footstool. So if you take the bookend, we're almost finished here, but listen, if you take the bookend of like, okay, promise that's given about David's line, his rule and reign in Luke, and then you go to the end of another gospel, it's the gospel of John. And we think for a moment about this ark. Remember the picture that, that I put up there, right? There's the box, there's the cherubim. Also think of it as angels, one on one end, one on the other. What was in the middle? Mercy seat, right? Blood was sprinkled there to atone for the sins of God's people. Then you realize some of the details the scriptures give you. John chapter 20, look at this detail. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. Jesus has just died, he's been put into the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb and she saw what? Two angels in white. That would be fascinating on its own, but there's more detail given. Sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Think about this for a moment. Picture this flat surface, this sort of stone slab, and there's an angel, one where the head of Jesus would have been and one where the feet of Jesus would have been. What is the Bible communicating in all of these details? What is it communicating to us about the presence of God? What is it communicating about the ultimate king that would come, but it wasn't a king that was gonna come and rule and reign in the way people thought. It was a king that was actually gonna come and die and become a servant. And what's being communicated here is to get to the presence of God, like God himself had to come dwell with us, had to die, had to pay the ultimate cost. And what you have there in the tomb then, it's the mercy seats, like the ark with the cherubim on either side. And what do we know? That the blood wasn't just sprinkled on the blood of God's own son, Jesus was shed so that you and I could be ushered into the presence of God because at this point, Jesus has resurrected. I mean, that's the story that we're part of. This is why the writer of Hebrews can say, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Do you, 
You catching the connotations here? Like we used to be separated from God. There was the veil, but when Jesus said it was finished, the curtain, it was torn in two. We have access now. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, here's the good news, is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day when Jesus actually comes back. And so there's this call to meet together. And right now that looks different as we can't all meet in person or if we meet, we do it in different ways. But let me put before you this. You and I are called to experience the presence of God together. And though it's not fully realized yet, part of what we're doing, the importance of gathering like this, the importance of being together in smaller communities and studying together and praying together, like this is all in response that the Lord has opened up this way that we are now the people of God. That we as the church get to experience the presence of God. And I love that line in Hebrews that he who promised is faithful. Like he's gonna see it through. And so regardless of what happens out in the broader culture, regardless of what, what happens politically, economically, socially, any of those things, it's not that they're insignificant. We should engage, we should be the church. I mean, the, the language there, right? Like don't neglect not only meeting together, um, but stir one another up to like love and good deeds, all of it. But we do it in glad response to what God has done. We do it in glad response that he has made a way for us to enjoy his presence. I'll give you one last, last thing. A lot of Bible here at the end, but that's never a bad thing. First Peter then says this, talking about the presence of God. And he begins to say, well, God's presence now has taken up residence within us as the church. And so as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's just telling you what we are as the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not just an isolated individual. You're being built together into this spiritual house. The presence of God is with us. We carry that out wherever we go. We bear witness to the reality of the presence of God in our world. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who right now is ruling and reigning. He's going to come back. But right now, in the meantime, there's good work for you and I to do to point people to that reality. So church, we're going to respond by continuing to, to worship through song. We're also going to worship through communion where we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for us, but let me encourage you, if you're here in person, if you're a follower of Jesus, as the worship team leads us in the next song. So if you want to, whenever you're ready, come up, grab the elements that are on either side of the stage here and take it back with you. Don't partake yet, but just hold on to them till I call us back. If you're at home, you can get elements together and we'll give you some time as the, this song is played. And then... You can stay seated after you get the elements. You can stand. You can join in singing. You can pray, whatever you do, but prepare your heart for this meal. So I'm going to pray for us. Worship team, we're going to be led in this song. I'll call us back and we'll partake in this meal together. This meal that reminds us again, like, how do we get to enjoy the presence of God? It's in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness and your grace. Thank you for your plans 
through all ages past, that you have been, you've been working your plan, you've been faithful to it, that you are a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, and that you're making it possible, you have made it possible for us to enjoy your presence. That it's not in some sort of partial mediated way anymore, but like we have your presence with us here right now. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our lives. And so we just give you praise for that. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that one day we're going to get to dwell with you in this perfected state. There'll be no injustice. We all flourishing all the time, forever. And so, God, as we continue in our worship service, we continue to worship and praise you through songs that we sing, through participation in this meal, God, and all of it, I pray, God, that you would get your glory. That we would experience, as your people, we just experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.